Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. You are about to listen to an original episode of Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of upcoming shows, go to barrykatz.com. After you finish the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to it, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it sucks. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard. For those of you who are regular listeners, thank you so, so much for all your support. Without you, I wouldn't be able to do this, and I'm so, so grateful. For those of you coming to us for the first time, I know you're going to enjoy this episode today with Caitlyn Jenner. It was such a pleasure to talk to her, and I learned so much about life and what it's like to really, really overcome tremendous issues and still prevail in this world. And when I look at Caitlyn Jenner, I think about where we met, and I think of a story I want to tell you that's a departure from my normal cold open stories, but I think you'll really, really enjoy it. I met Caitlyn Jenner in a Starbucks. I was sitting doing some work after I dropped my kids off at school, and I was just hanging out there, And if you know anything about a Starbucks, the most amazing thing about it is every class of people merge together and coexist and have a great time together. It's the wealthiest people in the world at the Starbucks. Everybody from Lady Gaga to Adele come by here, but also the least successful people, people who have nothing, people who have very, very little. And they're there every day, too, and they coexist And they enjoy each other's company. And Caitlyn Jenner is somebody who merges with all socioeconomic dynamics of people and seamlessly integrates with everybody. Always accessible, always kind, always generous. And I got to meet her for the first time in a very unique way. I was doing some work after I took my kids to school and to beat the traffic and I'm sitting down and I'm on my computer just looking down and and you know when somebody sits next to you and it sort of jumps the bench a little bit 
but you don't really look out. You're just looking down, and I'm looking down at these beautiful, beautiful shoes, but the feet inside the shoes are very large. And I'm looking at these incredible, long, slender legs, and I look up, and there's a flat stomach and a halter top, and I look up further, and face-to-face I am with Caitlyn Jenner for the first time in my life. And I say hi, and she says hi, and we start talking. And we were sitting there for 90 minutes having the best conversation. And every once in a while I'd look up, and there'd be people standing and sitting, listening to our conversation. And it was incredible, just really, really inspirational. And I let her know that I had to go, and she said, I have to go too, and we walked out together. We got to the parking lot, and I was saying goodbye to her, and she raised up her hand as if to give me a high five, and I slapped her hand, and then she interlocked her fingers with mine and was looking right at me, and she said these words, and I'll never forget them. She said, are you comfortable with your sexuality? And I paused, and I looked at her, and I thought about it, and I said, yeah, why? And then she pointed her arm and finger in a direction in the corner of the parking lot, and she said, because see that guy with the camera over there? That's the paparazzi from the UK. And then she pointed her finger to another part of the parking lot and said, that's the paparazzi from Italy. And then she pointed her finger in another area of the parking lot and said, that's the paparazzi from the United States. And then she turned back at me with a wry smile and she said, congratulations, Barry. You're my next love interest. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. All right. Welcome back to Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I just can't wait for this episode. This truly is going to be one of the most special podcasts I've ever done in my life. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest today. And here goes. This introduction is going to be long, but hopefully afterwards we'll be able to wake up Caitlin set an alarm, and maybe even wake up yourselves. So here we go. Caitlin Marie Jenner, formerly known as Bruce Jenner, is an American television personality and retired Olympic gold medal winning decathlete. Born William Bruce Jenner on October 28, 1949 in Mount Kisco, New York, Bruce Jenner struggled with dyslexia, but found success in sports throughout his youth. In high school, Jenner excelled in water skiing, football, basketball, and track. He accepted a football scholarship from Graceland College in Iowa, but after a knee injury took him out of the game, he switched to track and field. His college track coach convinced Jenner to train for the Olympic decathlon. He would go on to become one of the most beloved athletes of our generation. In 1972, Bruce Jenner made an impressive run at the Summer Olympic Games in Munich, West Germany. 
He placed third in the Olympic trials and 10th at the Olympic Games. But four years later, Jenner would achieve Olympic stardom at the 76th Summer Olympic Games in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. The athlete won a gold medal and set a new world record, scoring 8,634 points in the decathlon. After his win, a bystander handed him an American flag, which he enthusiastically grabbed for a victory lap, a gesture that has been repeated in Olympic Games ever since. In more recent years, Jenner has appeared as himself on the e-reality series Juggernaut, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which premiered in 2007 and has been going strong ever since. In February of 2015, after much speculation, news outlets began to report on Jenner identifying as transgender, with some noting subtle gradual changes in the Olympian's physical appearance. In April 2015, Jenner appeared in an exclusive TV interview with Diane Sawyer on ABC's 2020. During the interview with Sawyer, Jenner stated that he identifies as a woman, using the gender-based pronouns he and we at times while going through his personal history, including his decision to have hormone treatments, his sexual orientation, and the emotional experience of talking to his children about the transition. On June 1st, 2015, Jenner announced on Twitter that she is a woman, now known as Caitlin. Quote, I'm so happy after such a long struggle to be living my true self. Welcome to the world, Caitlin. Can't wait for you to get to know her, me. Unquote. On that same day, Vanity Fair released its July 2015 cover shot of Jenner's Caitlin which was photographed by the famous photographer Annie Leibovitz. Since revealing her true self, Caitlin executive produced I Am Kate, the landmark series on E! documenting her post-transition life, partnered with MAC Cosmetics to donate over $1.3 million to transgender initiatives and become the face of the H&M for every victory sportswear campaign. Caitlin was named Barbara Walters' most fascinating person of the year in 2015, runner-up for the 2015 Person of the Year, Out Magazine's 2015 Newsmaker of the Year, and one of Glamour Magazine's Women of the Year. Most notably, she was honored with the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage at the 2015 ESPY Awards where she delivered one of the most amazing speeches you'll ever see for her transition from Olympic athlete to transgender activist. In April of 2017, Caitlin shared her story in her New York Times best-selling memoir, co-authored by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Buzz Bissinger and published by Grand Central Publishing, entitled The Secrets of My Life. Also in 2017, Caitlin started the Caitlyn Jenner Foundation to support organizations doing on-the-ground and impactful work to empower the trans community and further trans rights. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, what an honor, truly, truly an honor, Caitlyn Jenner. Well, Barry, you know what? We've been talking about this for, what, two years? <laughs> two yes. years, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, for the world to know, we go to the same Starbucks, okay? <laughs> Starbucks is one of the few things in the world that the most successful people in the world 
and the least successful people in the yeah. world come together and they can't get anything better than what they ask for at the counter. It's the same exact it's the thing. same exact thing. It's equal opportunity for every <laughs> equal drinking for everybody. But yeah, Lady Gaga, it's kind of crazy. You know, it's the old Malibu place. And uh, yeah, I remember because it was, you know, over the last two years, um, you know, at first um, it was in doing this, I had to do it right. And there was only certain things I could do. Um, for so long, I had been uh, pretty much all my life, but particularly over the last couple of years before all of this, uh, I was just getting destroyed by the tabloids. Uh, they knew nothing. I never talked to anybody. It was all based on rumors and this and that. I mean, they had my picture. Uh, or my face superimposed over some woman's body on the cover of People magazine. I mean, they just would not stop. I had paparazzis following me everywhere. It was a horrible time. Um, and so in doing this, I couldn't, uh, I, I, I couldn't do it privately. And most people who uh, go through a transition um, have, uh, I think, in a lot of ways, the luxury of doing it in private. Um, and I couldn't do that. It just wasn't going to work. I could take off and go to Alaska. And You did go to Alaska. Well, yes, but, you know, like go to Alaska in the backwoods and transition and have to leave all my family. I leave Malibu where I'd lived for 40 years, you know, um, and do all of that. And eventually they would find me. You know, somebody, some tabloid person would find me and then it becomes a tabloid story. I had to take that tabloid story, take it out and put it mainstream. I deserve it and my community deserves it. Okay. This is a serious issue um, that affects a lot more people than you think. And um, I didn't want it to be in the gutter. So there was just, uh, so actually I have this. PR guy named Alan Nirob, um, who back in the 80s, and I talk about this in the book, back in the 80s, um, I thought I was going to transition before the age of 40. I went through six years of living in Malibu, living in a house, never really came out besides just to work up on top of Point Dome, right up above the Starbucks, and really went through hell. It was on you know, getting a few little things done to make me feel better about myself. You're very close at 40 to making that change. And yeah, and then I got to 39 and I just couldn't go any further. I look at it now, it just wasn't time. Um, and then I met Chris. We hit it off for the next 23 years. We raised more kids. I, I kind of immersed myself in being a dad. The good news is I raised great kids. Um, and... Um, uh, then Chris and I, for other reason, it wasn't gender issues or any of that kind of stuff. We just weren't getting along. And we mutually decided uh, to go separate directions. There was no fighting, no argument. You know, I said, you know what, you'd be happier, I'd be happier. Let's just go our separate ways, which we did. And there I was, you know, back in Malibu, alone, like I had sat there for six years and thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And then after getting back into therapy and on and on and on, and then slowly bringing every one of my kids in. I have 10 children. Uh, I couldn't bring them all at the same time because they would gang up on me. Um, I brought them in one at a time so we could have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I'm curious for our audience, when you're a parent, how do you decide who walks in number one 
and who walks in number 10, knowing the way our technology is with smartphones that somebody can get out of the meeting and immediately say oh, something yeah. to the other one. So how did you decide the order that you talk to your children and your family? Um, I started on the first one was going to be the easiest. <laughs> and my son, Brandon, who you know, Brandon, uh, my yep. son, Brandon is, I call him our little family Gandhi. You know, <laughs> he's just, he's the best kid. He's so smart, but he's got this look, the way he looks at life is just wonderful. You know, open-minded, all this kind of stuff. And I thought, you know what? I think he would be the easiest to start with because everybody knew what was going on. I mean, his mother had talked to him about my identity issues. Um, you know, here it is being just blasted all over the tabloids, you know, for years, but nobody would ever talk about it. Then before you sit down with Brandon and the rest of the right. family, what was the vision of what you wanted to accomplish? Um, I wanted to be honest, honesty. Okay, I'm not a bad person. Um, uh, uh, I just want to tell you my story and what I've dealt with my whole life. That's like with the book. It's called The Secrets of My Life. It was uh, a way for me to vent, to tell everybody. Anytime I would open up to somebody um, and talk to them about it, and it started with Brandon, um, and uh, it's like taking 10,000 pounds of weight off my shoulders. I can just now like be honest and be myself and... Um, I don't have a secret with that person. And Brandon said, this is why I started with Brandon. He's probably, he said the nicest thing that anybody could ever say. As we're about halfway through the conversation, and he goes, you know, I knew all this stuff, Dad. You know, I knew what's going on. My mom tells me this and that. And I said, I know, but we've never talked about it. And um, he goes, you know, Dad, I've always been so proud that you're my father. You know, if I go to a airport and I hand my ID and it says Brandon Jenner and they all go oh is your dad Bruce Jenner and, oh yeah Bruce he comes you know comes through here all the time and it was so nice and this and that and and I I've always just been so proud to be your son but I've never been more proud of you than I am right now I mean I cry about it today um what a wonderful thing for your child to say to you after pouring your soul out. Um, and uh, uh, that was, you know, that was a real, that was a great start. And, and we've been, you know, Brandon and I are still we're all very, very close. You know, it was a different reaction from other different kids. Um, all supportive. Uh, some are having a more difficult time with it than others. And I get that. And, you know, time heals a lot of wounds and creates a lot of thinking. Because today, you know, two over two years now after it's all come out, you know, it's funny when you go through what I've been through over the last couple of years um, and transition and people think that, oh, my God, all of a sudden you're going to be this different person. You know, uh, obviously you look good, look different, <laughs> uh, but I'm still I'm still the same person, you know, in so many ways. Um, I still a lot of like I like a lot of the things I liked before. I, I played around with racing cars all my life. I still do that. I, I fly my own plane. 
I still do that. It's in like I have to give that up. You know, I loved golf. I still love golf today. And I can play from the ladies' tees if I want to. <laughs> so it's all good. You know, I can still do all the things that, I that you know, Bruce used to do. Uh, just look a lot better doing it. But it just opened up my soul, so I'm I'm, I'm free. And and people have been extraordinarily accepting of me, and I've been very blessed for that. Yeah, you know, a few occasions I've had a few, you know, but overall, 99.9% of the time, people are wonderful. And today, my number one priority um, is, number one, me living authentically and just being myself and not having any secrets and just getting up in the morning and being yourself. That's that's a wonderful gift. One of the greatest gifts in the book is what you just alluded to in our lives. There's the lies we tell ourselves, the secrets, when you let them go. You can breathe. But it's like, ah, okay, uh, all right. And the, the world didn't collapse. Nobody died. Um, uh, there's still some work to be done here, but just not having to that's like in the book i talk about it uh kim was actually the first one that i didn't talk about transitioning back then but i was still married to chris and there's all these rumors going around and chris or uh, kimberly being kind of blunt um in a good way uh she goes one time because she had caught me one time uh cross-dressed and um and so this was years earlier and so uh, she goes, what is going on with you? And she had her own house at the time. She had moved out and bought her own home. And I said, at this point, I, you know, I said, you want to know? I'll come over to your house. I have nobody else there. Just the two of us will sit down and we'll talk. Told her my story. So technically she was first. But then for the next, I, I, I thought that it would open up conversation. I could at least be open with her. Um, and um, for the next year and a half, she never brought the subject up again. Now, it, I'm thinking in my head, is she just not okay with it? Um, why is it just no conversation again after that on this subject? Our relationship was great, but as far as this subject, it was never brought up again. It wasn't like a week later she goes, you know, you said something. I'd like to talk to you about that, you know. Um, it just never came up for a year and a half. Now, to her credit, she said, because um, I had mentioned that, and she goes, I just didn't know if I should bring it up when I talked to her a year and a half later. And I says, you never, we never talked after that one time. And she goes, I didn't know if I should bring it up, you know, which I can understand that. I can understand that. And I felt a little better after that. I, I get it. It's yeah, you don't know if you shouldn't even talk about it. You've kept it a secret for so long, should I even talk about it? What was so fascinating about the whole process, and not that you want it to be fascinating, the pain that you were going through, but you were controlling certain variables in your life. You controlled how hard you worked out. It's like Magic Johnson, who's been a good friend yeah. to the family. He has this philosophy, over-deliver. That's all. That's what it's all about. Just over deliver. So you were an over deliverer. So then what I was interested to hear your opinion about now you control the variables of sitting down with each family member and each person in your life. Yeah. 
but you can't control how each one of them handles it. If you put a graph together, there's going to be one child that's going to be the most supportive saying, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. I can't believe it. This is fantastic. And then there's number 10 who disappears. Yeah. And you can't control that. So how do you handle psychologically after all you've been going through? Because the thing about the book that's more evident than anything else, family. And so how do you deal with something when you finally get to take the bull by the horns, control this, get where you want to go, make the changes you always wanted to make? How do you handle that? You can't, you know, I remember Shandy Moore who was on the show. Um, she's great. And she said in one of the first dinners we had with Shandy, um, she said, you know, you can't save every soul but you can save them one at a time. And I listened to that and I said, oh my God, that's, that's, that's something to live by. Um, the, the, the way I justify that, you know, with all the kids and different reactions is, thank God I have a lot of kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some are gonna get it better than others, you know? And um, although all my kids have all been on my side, yeah, there are a few, and I'm not gonna mention names, that it's um, our relationship yeah, has not been as good since then and, and even to today. Because to be honest with you, I'm a better person today, you know? And the things that I'm trying to do, bring this issue forward, um, you know, you, you may look very different and enjoy different things out there that we were never able to do before, but I feel like in my heart and my soul, I'm a better person today, you know, after going through all of this. And um, um, sometimes I get frustrated because they don't see that, you know. Um, they don't see that now that I'm living my life with no secrets, openly, you become a better person. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. You say in the book you have a much simpler life. Much simpler. When you talk about your life as Bruce, nothing seemed more simple after the Olympics. You didn't care about you got a haircut or not. You didn't have a makeup person. You didn't have a hair person. Well, you, you think of that side. Yeah, it does take a lot longer to get ready. to. Um, <laughs> no, it's about, and when I say my life is so simple today, 
because I don't have any secrets. Uh, I'm not living under this enormous shadow that has taken over my life. Um, and I can just get up in the morning and be myself. That's like so simple, you know? Where before, like in the first chapter of the book, I talk about, you know, going to Vegas and sneaking out in parking lots and cross-dressing in parking lots and, you know, getting on the freeway and driving up and not even being able to stop at Starbucks because I was cross-dressed in Barstow, you know? <laughs> I had to give up. Do I do I stay, you know, Bruce, and then I can stop and get a, a vanilla latte on the way or do I get cross-dressed? Then I can't go in, I can't go in you know? Just the thought of you in Barstow. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Well, since then, um, yeah, I have driven, Caitlin, has driven there and I stopped so just so Caitlin can walk in there and get her damn coffee and move on you know <laughs> and so but anyway it's not like this trans issues gender dysphoria is um, an issue that is part of humanity it doesn't have borders um, it doesn't stop at the border it's there are trans people and gender nonconforming people and gay people and anywhere in the LGBT community in every part of the world. It's just part of the way God made it. It's just, you know, and, um, and now the T portion is, is tough for people to understand. I'm going to ask you a simple question, Barry. I might fail. No. And I guarantee you, you never have been asked this question. Okay. But I want you to think about it and just take a second Okay, and just think about it. And the simple little question is, when did you know you were a boy? I was five years old, and my mother had a black and white television in her bedroom with the three channels. And on Saturday afternoon, she used to let me watch television in her room when she was doing stuff in the kitchen. And the movie King Kong, the 1933 version, came on. The big gorilla has Fay Ray in her hand, and oh, she's yeah. scantily clad, and she's screaming. And I felt something between my legs <laughs> happening, and that's when I knew I felt like a boy. <laughs> I felt like a boy. Is that the wrong answer? No, no, that's actually a very good answer. A little crazy, but okay, I'll <laughs> go with it. You know, I go with it. It's the best answer I've ever gotten for that question. Um, but for those few seconds, you actually thought about way back then about gender and about who you are. It's not about, and you made a sexual thing out of this thing, but it's not about sexuality. It's about gender. It's about who you are as a person in your soul, kind of how, and for a normal person, they kind of take it for granted. You know, they just kind of wake up and then they're a girl or they're a boy and they kind of move on in life and it's not even a question in their life and they never question that. For a person suffering from gender dysphoria or a trans person, that question is in their head every day, 24 hours a day, 365 days out of the year, and it's never going to go away. So if the question were reversed, what would you say? Um, I just constantly, I knew, and I talk about it in the book, when I was, you know, eight, nine years old, I had no idea. I was just fascinated by my mom and my sister. I had an older sister. I was just fascinated by their clothes, about everything about, you know, the girl thing. 
And but back then, we're talking latter fifties. Uh, you just couldn't bring that subject up. I mean, if they were gone every once in a while, if everybody's gone, I'm the only one in the house, I'd go to the closet, dress, even to the point where if they were gone at night when it's dark, I didn't have a wig, so I put a scarf over my head, you know, and tied it at the bottom and wore women's clothes and walked around the apartment complex that we were in. Were you in emotional pain at eight or it was too early to know even what pain was? It was it was fun. I felt comfortable, but I was also scared. I mean, you go through every, through the process throughout my life, because every journey, I've met a lot of trans people since I came out. I never met anybody until I came out. It, it, this subject has come so far forward in the last 20 years. And I think the reason for that, uh, many reasons, but one of the main reasons, um, the internet. The internet changed everything. Back in the 80s, when I was really struggling, there was no way to get any information. And when you say struggling, because you were thinking of the transition. There was no, I couldn't find anybody else. I was just in my house. I remember I watched, uh, I couldn't even find a therapist. You know, uh, how do you find a therapist that's gonna deal with this stuff? Um, and I was happened to be watching TV one day, and they had the Orange County, uh, I don't know if it was the LGBT Center or Trans Center uh, doing an interview for some reason. I didn't even know there was an Orange County Transgender Center. You know, I said, are you kidding me? And uh, so I call up information back then, call up information um, and uh, uh, called the guy and obviously didn't tell him my name. And, uh, you know, I said, I'm, you know, I'm dealing with this subject. Is do you know a therapist up in the LA area? And um, and they gave me a couple numbers. That's how I found Trudy. And the, the, I think there were like three doctors, and uh, two of them guys and one a girl. And of course, I'm picking a girl because I just feel more comfortable around that. And so that's where I met uh, Trudy Hill. Um, and so for four or five years, uh, I went to Trudy all the time. And did anybody know you were going in the family? No, my kids did not know. Uh, I And this was the time when I was really struggling, and I was not a good parent, so I wasn't that close to my kids at that time. And I just had the Brandon Brody, Burton Casey. Uh, I was, you know, and I, I talk about it in the book. Uh, yeah, it just, I was struggling so much with myself, I couldn't even deal with anybody else at that time. And, yeah, I just, I wasn't a good parent. And so... Uh, uh, you know, I went to her, and it was the first time I could sit down and actually talk to somebody about it. And she was great. Um, you know, I, she had a, a new electrolysis, start getting rid of the beard. That's about a two-year struggle of pain. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, eventually I got on hormones um, and was doing just little things to make me feel better about myself, you know? Obviously, without getting into too much detail, you're in a marriage, you're going to have intimacy with that person. There's going to be moments where they're with you uh, when you first meet. There's going to be moments when they're with you in intimate moments a year later, two years later. But you're not saying anything. Do they say anything? With, uh, I've had three marriages. Um, and with Christy, the first one, I was in college. I was just going for it in life. Didn't really mention 
that I had this thing and I didn't get heavily into it. Um, uh, but I did tell her after, and I said, this is what always constantly goes through my head, you know, when you get a little closer. Um, Linda, kind of the same way. You say a lot of times that you had insecurity, but when I meet somebody who just dated Elvis Presley, that takes confidence to be able to go out with somebody like that. It was a, um, uh, a tennis tournament, actually up at Hefner's on a Sunday afternoon uh, that I was playing in, and she was there, and she was very nice, and this and that. And uh, Anyway, I didn't know she, she was... I couldn't figure out when I first met her why all these people were talking to her. I didn't know who the <laughs> hell she was. I had no idea that she dated Elvis. I, had, I knew none of that. You know, but she seemed to know everybody there and everybody knew her. Um, yeah, I found out more about all that stuff after we started dating for a little while. And I go, what is this whole thing, you know? And uh, uh, yeah, and in and, and that case, uh, we got married fairly quickly. Um, and I talked to her more after we got married. Uh, about all my issues and all the things that I was dealing with. Um, and But it only lasted four or five years, right around there. It only we, we both decided to go our separate directions, and we had two great kids with Brandon and Brody. You know, I have no regrets for any of those relationships because why? They brought me great kids. Um, and, uh, you know, family to me is everything. Um, you know, I look at a lot of young people uh, who are trans and I feel very blessed honestly that I waited that long because I had wonderful experiences wonderful children um, I, I believe that and, and maybe I'm wrong but this is my own opinion is that there are like levels of being trans you know there can be literally three four five year old kid you know who's let's say female and, you know, to the parents say, no, nah, you know, you, you keep calling me a girl, but actually I'm a guy, you know, I'm a boy and very strong, strong feelings for me. I could kind of live with myself. I don't know if it was the time that I, you know, from the 50s, 60s, 70s, the times that we were living in, but I could live with myself and not go off the deep end. You know, we have a suicide rate in the trans community nine times higher than the general public. We lose kids all the time, mostly all young trans kids um, who just can't handle it, who, you know, it's it's tough, especially when you're trans and you're gender nonconforming. Let's say you have feminine qualities and you're in school, grade school, um, or masculine qualities, or you don't fit the norm, school can be brutal. Um, and if there's any, if you suffer from depression, that's kind of the big one. Uh, we lose a lot of kids, a lot of young people that way. The thing that I look at that inspires me most about you, and I don't mean to get emotional, but is the don't fact- Don't start crying on me again, I'm, Barry. I'm sorry. Come on. I'm sorry. I know. Okay, um, hit me with it. The thing that I think that you could give anybody is how to deal with the punches and the adversity and the 
levels of people trying to take you down. Wake up and go out and say, what you think Do of me again. is none of my business. Yeah. The thing with your father and the, the, uh, tree. Uh, the tree, like <laughs> oh, in, in the God. cold weather. And you say, I can't do this. It's too dangerous. Don't yeah. do this to yeah. me. Don't oh, yeah. do this to me. Yeah. And then I do the story years later, the motorcycle yes. going down the hill. And I'm not taking it down that hill. And I said, Dad, remember that tree back on Bantam Lake? <laughs> yeah. And you keep bringing up, don't do this to me. I said, I'll tell you what. You shut up with that story, I'll take it down for you. And he says, you got a deal. <laughs> I don't know if that prepared you. Just you could post one thing that's positive, and then you look at the the comments, and it's like, my God. Oh, yeah, the comments. On, on, <laughs> you, oh, my God, you, yeah. I don't read them very often, but once in a while for humor, I read them. <laughs> Internet is brutal. I, I can't say, and especially a lot of the criticism has come from within my community. But that would then be other crushing having people in your community. Oh, I got attacked. You. Yeah, I got attacked. But not only time. that, yeah. even at the ESPY Awards, I got the feeling like this is somebody who doesn't write speeches. I think that she's going to throw out some jokes and whatever, and you did, and it was wonderful. But then afterwards, I think what I thought would be disturbing to me, and again, I don't know if you felt the sting, when there's people who you respect, who, like, Bob Costas or oh, Frank yeah, DeFord or people like that who have written amazing things about you and waxed poetry that no one mm -hmm. ever wa and then you go on and then they criticize, criticize. and that's uh, the example that I think yeah. I take away from you for anybody is like hey you're going to go out in the world and you're going to get your ass handed to you and you got to keep getting up and going forward and I think that's the biggest thing I get from your life it's not whether you're a man, a woman, to me, you're clear. Yeah. It's just the singular focus is family and take the hits and yeah, keep, keep walking. Moving. Yeah. Um, I've had to do that. And, and some, you know, I can't say that if somebody criticizes me or like in this one case, I had this quote, trans activist. Uh, she was, it wasn't about me as much as it was about her. Uh, came after me and just ripped me for being a Republican, for being white, for being actually having a job and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I can't say that that doesn't hurt. Of course it hurts, if, especially somebody in your community. Um, you know, I, I'd lay there and go, at, at some points, the criticism becomes so tough that I'm going, why am I even doing all this stuff? Why am I going out there and trying to raise money, you know, to give to the trans community? Um, you know, so far we've given away about, between Mac and my own foundation, about $1.4 million towards trans issues. Um, and I'm out there doing meetings for free and running around and, you know, asking favors of people to get involved with my foundation and all these types of things and I'm out there and I'm just trying to, I don't get a dime for any of that. I just to, you know, raise money to give it some great organizations and great people that are doing great work, you know, and then you get bashed for everything that you do. Yeah, it hurts. Um, but then, you know, I take a big deep breath. I call up Alan, my PR, <laughs> my PR guy. And you know, he knocks a little sense into me and says, eh, come on, look at the difference you're making. You know, look at all this stuff you're doing. Look at this, that, this, that. And I go, yeah, you're right. You know, there's no reason to give up. I, I realize I'm going to be criticized, you know, because uh, I'm not the, quote, norm 
for a trans person. Um, I, I know the struggles that the trans community has right now. The murder rate has been going nuts. We lose a trans woman of color um, one every two weeks. I find transgender people, I find they're more honest. What helped you get to the point where you could tell your story at the right time was, unfortunately, you kept it a secret and maybe part of coming out and being an inspiration is the fact that people are feeling comfortable to be honest and maybe the world isn't as accepting yet and that's why more people are Yeah, um, I think that's one thing that when I did Diane Sawyer, I knew that that was, you know, after being hammered, hammered, hammered by the tabloids, that I was finally gonna come out and do the ultimate. You know, I, I talked about earlier how when I talk to my kids or talk to somebody, a loved one, about my issues, it's like taking all this weight off my shoulders. When that came out, the weight was coming off big time. When you were going to tell your story, obviously with Al and your publicist right. there, clearly there had to be at least five different interviewers that wanted to interview you, maybe three, maybe seven. How did you decide on Diane Sawyer? Was it the same process of like, I felt the comfortability was like dating. You had to go and meet each person and yeah. say which one I'm going to feel more comfortable with. I, um, because the, uh, me and this issue had been treated by the media as like in the tabloids and the gun. This is not a tabloid story. This is a story about humanity, about me. It's an important story. Um, Alan and I, when I decided, uh, uh, that I was going to do this, uh, I had to do it right. Um, uh, I had to get it out of the tabloids and put it front page, credible, not just about me, but about this whole community. Um, and I sat down, uh, actually, Alan, who was my PR guy back in the 80s, he was a young PR, then in a little cub there at it, uh, Rogers and Cowan. They were going to write an, uh, the New York Times was going to write an article. I was a crossdresser. This is when I was going through my struggles, you know, back in the 80s. And um, I brought Alan, my lawyer, and my manager into a room and said, oh, they're thinking about doing this. Well, here's my story. I told them my story, and they just can't do it. I'm not ready for this, okay? And so Alan was successful in you know, calling the guy and basically going, are you kidding me? You're going to write an article about that? Oh, my God. Anyway, successful in shutting it down. And then I didn't need a PR guy for the next 25 years at least. And then all of a sudden, of course, the first person I'm going to call is Alan. Uh, when I decided, okay, I got to do this, didn't even know if he was still at Rogers and Cowan. So I called information in Beverly Hills, Rogers and Cowan, please. <clears throat> Back in the day when you actually called information. And uh, uh, and so I called up Rogers and Cowan and I just says, uh, Alan, you're up, please. And uh, they go, just one second. And I go, oh my God, he's still there. <laughs> Find out now he's president of Rogers and Cowan. But that's a whole other story. Alan's done very well for himself and called him up and said, hey, Alan, uh, we got to talk. And since he knew the story and kept it quiet for like 28 years, um, uh, he goes, okay, I'll be there on Saturday. And in so when he came out on that Saturday, we sat down and I told him where I'm at. And, uh, and and it was mutual. I wanted Diane Sawyer, okay? So you knew from the start that that's the only person you wanted. Um, Barbara Walters 
had done some interviews with trans people, this girl named Jenna Telekova, who was um, <clears throat> uh, in the Miss Canada Universe pageant, um, and she was a trans girl, and became a big media thing. And um, uh, Barbara Walters asked her this question, which just ticked me off. And that question was, she goes, well, if you were just standing there and didn't have any clothes on, would I see a man or a woman? Barbara, it's none of your damn business. Because too many people think it's about that. It's about your genitalia and about what you had. No, it's not between your legs, this issue. It's between your ears, okay? It's your soul. It's about who you are. It's not what you got between your legs. Okay, and too many people can't separate that. They think it's sexual. They think it's this. And when that one, that really ticked me off. Um, like Katie Couric, uh, <clears throat> she had asked some inappropriate questions of trans people, and a lot of people have. They feel like the audience wants to know what you got between your legs. You know, when within the community, it's the least most important thing. But Diane Sawyer, I just think I'd met her on a few occasions, just briefly. I've never been interviewed by her but just a class act. And we had Mark Robertson come out, her producer, um, and we sat down at my house and discussed it. And um, yeah, she wound up doing it, and I was just so happy for that. Now, a lot of people in the audience don't understand this, and I don't even understand it. At that point, that's a huge, huge relevant story, not just in the country, in the world. One would think you could sign a contract with any of these people and say, listen, you want this interview? I get final cut mm -hmm. or else we're not doing this interview. But apparently all these people doing these interviews can't cut out what Barbara Walters says or whatever. Did you go in knowing you had the power to say, listen, I'll do this with you, Diane, but I got final cut on this? Technically, no. Or with uh, Diane Sawyer, Mark Robertson, producer, who it's just has become and still is like just one of my closest friends. Uh, he's just such a wonderful person, gay guy, um, and been with Diane from day one. I mean, he's just the best. I had confidence, one, in Diane Sawyer, or else I wouldn't have done it with her, that she would do the story right. When I talked to Mark Robertson about it, um, it was, uh, I, I, I wanted this, it was originally supposed to be an hour. I wanted this to be not just about me. I wanted it to be about the community and about the struggles of trans people in, in our society today. I want it to be more than just me. It's, it's you know, uh, I want people, this is a great opportunity to get people to understand the issue. Um, and uh, it went, and when you got Diane Sawyer, uh, and she's editing and putting it together, and she goes, there's just too much here. She calls up the president of the network, says, we need two hours. We can't do it in one. And the president of the network says, okay, Diane, whatever you want, you know? And so it became a two-hour special, so we even get more into it. I just felt like I was in really, really good hands and that they loved me and they were on my side. They're not going to do anything bad for the community and bad for that. Vanity Fair, same way. Um, uh, we did look at the article before they actually went out and did it, but I had, we picked this guy, Buzz Bissinger, who wound up being, uh, working with me on the book. Um, Buzz, uh, who's crazy. I love him to death. Um, 
and uh, but uh, just a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer. It just—he's a great, great writer. Uh, he was going to do the interview, and, and we were together for three months. Um, you know, he kind of went through everything. Uh, yeah, those last three months, um, and wrote a wonderful article. Um, the pictures—I never really saw the pictures until uh, uh, really till it came out. They showed me the week before a couple of the pictures, you know, but not all of them. Um, but I just had to have a lot of confidence in Vanity Fair and Buzz and that they're going to do the job. And uh, when you when you do a hard news story like Diane Sawyer, you really don't get final cut. It's 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 you hand it to them and it's there. I just had a lot of confidence that they'd do the right thing. And they did. I think the decisions just from the point of this podcast and people listening, because it's something that a lot of people don't get. And because your publicist is here, Alan, it's just people don't really look at things as closely maybe as I self-analyze and I also analyze things that people do in terms of business. But the strategy was so flawless in my mind of how to get the story out in terms of each step. I can honestly say, and I don't mean to give Alan and you a big head, but one of the greatest publicity rollouts in terms of strategic things that happened that I've ever seen in my entire life to get a message out positively. It was yeah, incredible. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's because I felt like, not just for me and my family, but for this entire community, we have to do it right. And Alan, who's, I started him doing this stuff 30 years ago. What I also love about the story between you two, and whether you want to admit it or not, it's kind of like a little bit of a love affair on its own. Oh, yeah. I because love you yeah. hired him, you fired him <laughs> unceremoniously, and yeah. you hired him again. Yeah. And no manager like myself loves anything more than getting a phone call 10 years later from somebody who fired me and said, oh, yeah, can yeah, we yeah, talk yeah, again? Yeah. That's hey, the yeah, greatest yeah. thing yeah, in the world. Yeah, it is. It is. No, um, it was very well thought out. And Alan was brilliant in doing all this stuff. Because honestly, um, uh, less is more. Don't do everything. Do the right thing. See, I, I would literally get a thousand uh, requests for interviews. And you even asked for the last two years... I'm standing in line at the Starbucks this last time, okay? Yeah. I have my back. I hear her voice, but I don't turn around because I'm like, I can't let this person think that, like I'm some kind of person. Just I want her to be able to just get a coffee and not have to see my mug every time in there. Yeah, and so I'm there. I'm doing my thing. I'm just staring straight ahead. And this guy, Brandon, who's there every day, who lives in a van somewhere, incredible English guy, but I don't know what he does for a living. And yeah, he just yeah. comes right up to her and says, why don't you do his podcast? And I turn around <laughs> and it's almost the most angry I've actually ever been in a Starbucks. I turn around and I said, Brandon, please, please leave her alone. Yeah. Let her yeah. get her coffee. I don't want her to have to yeah. worry about coming in here. No, and I, but I was and, honest and, with you. And I turn back around and all of a sudden yeah. I hear, I'll do it. First time you ask, I honestly said, um... All right, you didn't really ask. It was Bre Brendan kind of getting in there. And, the first know, thing I did was I did this thing that I do all the time that I tell my audience to do. I tell them to go get FedEx envelopes from wherever it is, write a beautiful letter, write out the slip, 
and give it to a place where you know they're going to be and they'll hand the FedEx envelope and everybody opens a FedEx. And I sent you a FedEx the first time. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. I sent at Vintage Grocers. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then, uh, but the thing is, um, because it was so methodical and what we were trying to do uh, as far as PR, um, you know, I had three things I was going to do. And I, actually, it started off as two and um uh which was diane sawyer uh then van and diane sawyer was never mentioning caitlin's name it's all about little bruce and then vanity fair was going to come out and uh i thought even when our even in our first conversations with alan i i thought that i thought vanity fair would be a great place to go because you have to have kind of the written side of this um uh to you know for caitlin's first interview and uh, because they're edgy enough, but they're also classy enough. I mean, I think that's a great publication to do. And, and Alan, of course, is friends with all the people at Vanity Fair, calls me back a few days later and says, you've got the cover of Vanity Fair. And I'm going, oh, whoa, we're in. Yeah, I guess I'm doing this big time. <laughs> and that cover, that Vanity Fair cover for me, Although my kids, especially on the Jenner side, they were not that pissed, pleased with it because it was kind of a, a hot shot of little little Caitlin here. Uh, but for me, um, you know, and then having Annie Leibovitz, uh, they got her to shoot it. And it was just, I had never had anybody professional do my hair, makeup, or had a stylist or any of that stuff. Next thing I knew, my house was full of clothes. Um you know, Annie Leibovitz is showing up. Uh, it was just like the greatest. It was a two-day shoot. Like, just it was just phenomenal. And everybody was in the crew and with Vanity Fair were just so excited about the whole thing. And um, because we were so bringing this issue forward. And when it came out, um, honestly, I loved it. Just for the shock value. Because Annie takes great shots, and you had hair and makeup and the clothes and the whole thing. I did see a few of the pictures before the magazine, but I had not seen all of them. Um, and uh, I was real happy just because I love the shock value because it ended right there. Okay? It's over with. Okay? And here's Caitlin. Okay? everybody, the media, the public, I mean, that cover won uh, the most, the best cover of any publication for the entire year, you know? And, but it changed everything immediately, right then. Within 10 minutes, it was, the story was different. After Diane Sawyer, the media, the tabloids couldn't tear up on me because I was being honest. And when Vanity Fair came out, the pronouns changed, name changed, everybody knew the name. Honestly, <laughs> the media was kind of tough because they threw little Bruce under the bus thinking, this Caitlin character is a lot more interesting. <laughs> and uh, But I still was not going to do any other interviews. The next thing that came up, which they came to us, was about the Espies. And uh, that was in like another two or three months later. If you haven't seen it, you just go on YouTube and watch the speech yeah. at the ESPYs. It's really incredible. And I think one of the things that's... That was my first public appearance. I'd never been in public. And there I am standing up there and looking at LeBron James and Brett Favre. And first thing I thought when I read the book was, 
you're a better actor than you give yourself credit for. I do good in that stuff, yeah. Because yeah. you think about certain people who experienced Olympic glory who just couldn't make it happen, like Mark Spitz. But you would walk on a set. You know a good one to watch? Bruce, one of his last things he did, I did Jimmy Fallon. And, uh, oh, I was so ready for him. Uh, I was, I had material written. <laughs> I had the whole thing. You know, Jeff Dunham, he's a real good friend of mine. And uh, there was an incident that happened at the games in London in 12, 2012. And uh, because at that time, the media had no idea what was going on. And all the late night guys are just doing this, you know, face jokes and this and that. And they were all coming up with this stuff. And I was getting so tired. I was actually in Marburg, Germany at like two o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep. I had just gotten there. And of course, I'm watching the only English speaking station on the you know tv and there's jimmy fallon and i'll watch jimmy fallon and he does his little monologue and he's coming up with these bruce jokes he can't blink anymore or sup for plastic surgery oh and i'm laying there at two o'clock in the morning in marburg germany thinking i was just getting so upset here i am in the middle of nowhere okay and i gotta i can't escape it i gotta listen to this crap you know that's going on out there i'm so tired of the late night guys with their jokes and this and that so i ran into him at the games a couple of weeks later was the games and it's nbc and of course he was there so when you run into him and he knows what he's been saying about you what's the look on his face when he runs into you tom brokaw was there and tom's a good friend i've known him forever and this is still back in the old, you know, Bruce days. <clears throat> and um, I had just finished my last on camera. And I, I got a seven o'clock flight tomorrow morning to go home. I've been on the road for like three weeks. I, I'm a homebody. I love being home. Anyway, and so I was going to just go over and say, you know, he was talking to somebody and I was going to just say goodbye. And uh, uh, so I go over there and he goes, oh, he was talking to Jimmy Fallon. Here he is right there. We're two weeks earlier. I'm in Marburg, Germany, listening to making a face joke. And so I was nice. I played, hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> so you acted like you didn't hear it. Yeah. And so I didn't say anything. And I just said, hi, nice to meet you. And this and that. I said, Tom, you know, I'm leaving. And anyway, it's great seeing you again. And I walk away and I go, they had a, they had a Starbucks there. <laughs> Barry, you would love it. They, at the International Broadcast Center, and the coffee was free. You didn't have to pay for it. So I'm going to go over and get my little latte for the ride home, and I'm, the next morning I'm out of there. I'm, like, so happy. And I'm going over to get the Starbucks, and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting there for my little latte, and I'm thinking, you big chicken, okay? Why didn't you just give him a – just – you had him right there. Just give him a piece of your mind. I'm sick of these stupid-ass – face jokes, you know, and I'm getting madder and madder and I'm getting my little coffee. And so finally I get my coffee and I turn around, I start walking out. Who's walking in? Jimmy Fallon. Now, by this time, I'm pretty pumped up. <laughs> okay. I'm about ready. And so anyway, with a big smile on my face as he's going by, I reach my hand out, and shake his hand and then shaking his hand. I don't let it go. And I get right in his face and I say, I'm sick of the fucking fake jokes, okay? I don't like it, my family doesn't like it, okay? I don't want any more of those, you know? And you just gotta stop. 
and his eyes were so big. Okay, he's like, and his head's just bobbing. Uh, okay, uh, okay, okay, okay. Did you hear me? And I walk away. <laughs> I walk away, and I am feeling so good. Okay, I just finished the games. I got a seven o'clock flight to go home. I've been on the road for three weeks, and I just told uh, Jimmy Fallon to go take a flying leap. Okay, and so I'm on cloud nine. I'm walking out of that place. I got my little latte. I got the biggest smile. I got ahead of driver while I was there. I got this driver. I said, you just can't believe what just happened. It was like the perfect ending to the games, okay? I just told Jimmy Fallon off, and I'm out of here. I'm gone. Now, for me, I thought, if I was Jimmy Fallon, I would have kind of reached out after that. Maybe even have you on your show, maybe a letter or whatever. I would have, if it was me, I would have reached out just a little bit and say, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry, or whatever. And about a month later, uh, it was a, uh, um, my secretary calls me and says, Jimmy Fallon's office called and they wanted your email address. I go, yeah, should I give it to him? And I said, of course, I'm thinking, I'm gonna get a letter. Nothing, nothing, months go by. And then all of a sudden one day, they call up and said, Jimmy Fallon would like you to do the show. I said, of course I'll do the show. <laughs> Of course I will. So that's when I called Jeff Dunham. I said, Jeff, we got to come up with some material. We got to, I mean, I got to think this thing out. Okay. This has got to be funny. Okay. But I'm not going to be easy on him, but you can, there's, there's a balance here. So when I get there to do the show, um, <clears throat> I had this friend with me and I said, you stand outside that door and you know how they go around and say hi to everybody before the show starts. Yeah. Don't let him in. <laughs> I don't want to see him until I walk out there. So he comes to the door to go say hi, because I don't want to lose that little edge there. And the guy at the door goes, uh, sorry. Yeah, Bruce doesn't want to see you. And he goes, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so he's doing his monologue. And he's even he even mentions it during his monologue that like he's scared that I wouldn't even <laughs> let him in the dressing room where I was, okay? So finally, I come out through the curtain. He has not seen me since I told him to take a flying leap, okay? And I sit down, and I was so ready for him. Oh, my God, I had all the material. I had everything. I didn't even let him get a word in. <laughs> he even said at one point, I haven't even asked a question. I said, that's all right. I got this segment. <laughs> <laughs> he was dying, dying laughing. After it was over with, it was very funny. And, but after it was over with, he goes, oh, my God, that was just so great. You've got to come back. But I haven't been back since, so. Hey everybody, I am really, really excited. We have a sponsor, AquaTrue. This is the first countertop water purifier using multi-stage reverse osmosis technology. I know it sounds complicated, but let's put it this way. This is something that can take your tap water and can turn it into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You're going to be enjoying the best water, the safest water. And if you haven't read all the news about Flint, Michigan, in every single state, there's over a hundred chemicals found in tap water that are not even regulated by the EPA. Many of them are cancer causing and have lead in them. So you can go to a special website that we've set up called industrystandardwater.com. It takes you directly to the AquaTrue site 
And if you get this product, you're going to get $100 off. Just type in 100 in the special code section. You'll get that money off and you'll start saving. You can put a whole huge bottle of Diet Coke in this machine. And 10 minutes later, it'll come out with the best tasting water you've ever had. I got one of these products. It was unbelievable. Industrystandardwater.com. And you'll be enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever tasted. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to say something, and I just want you to say what comes to mind. Could be one word. Yes. Could be a sentence. Okay. Could be anything. Yeah, with me, unfortunately, brevity is not my forte. That's okay. Alan's going to drag me out of here soon in a second. (laughs) All right. Peace Train. Cat Stevens. The peace train in life is the greatest gift of peace in your soul. Dyslexia. Um, very difficult when you're young. It kind of affects you all through your life. But if that's the biggest problem you have in life, let me tell you, you got it made. The village people. So much fun doing the movie Can't Stop the Music. Um, yeah, they were actually very nice. See, I had... I didn't even really know them when they first came out. And uh, I had met Alan Carr. They asked to do this movie. Uh, they actually wrote it for me. I was the first one that they had. And uh, we really had a lot of fun. I mean, we we had a grand old time. Yeah, it was a fun movie to do. And then uh, now it's like a cult movie. It's like the Rocky Horror Show and Can't Stop the Music. It's great. It's still out there every once in a while, you know? Yeah. Montreal. Very proud of it. Donald Trump. From my perspective, I'm glad he's there and not Hillary Clinton. Do I agree with everything? No. But I'm glad somebody's standing up for the people of this country and for this country in general. Courage. The military. My dad's buried at Arlington. World War II veteran. That's courage. Nobody was putting a gun to my head, or I, my, he went fifth range of battalion, landed Omaha Beach, running up the beach, that's courage. Fate. There are many times when, you know, at the time it doesn't seem like that big a decision, but when you look back on your life and your life comes to the why in the road, you can go left, you can go right, you know? Um, and at the time you make a decision, you go somewhere. But faith is you look back on it and you see, oh my God, what if I would have gone the other direction? None of this would have happened. You know, none of this, 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 and this. So faith is kind of like what gets you through life. I mean, hopefully you make good concrete decisions in life, but um, you really can't, you know, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You know, you hope for the best. Your mom. My mom is the best. Uh, God, you know what? When you were talking earlier about, you know, what kids do you start with? My mom was the last one to know. Uh, she was the hardest one. Um, uh, I just, you know, I'm her kid. And she would ask me questions because she'd see the rags, you know, in the grocery line and the stupid stuff they were writing. 
Oh, what is all this stuff? All my girlfriends are asking. Oh, mom, it's the rags. Finally, at some point when I knew I was going through with this, I'd already told my sister 30 years earlier. Um, I knew I had to tell her. And I remember I was sitting up there in my little UTV up on top of a hill, looking out over the ocean and Malibu. And I thought, you know what? I got to call her. I just got to get this over with. And um, she immediately, like any mother would, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? I said, Mom, I hate to say it. You had nothing to do with this. <laughs> you didn't do anything wrong. Well, how could I have not known? Mom, I was really good at hiding. Nobody knew. So after that first week of her, we're talking on the phone every day, and she's got all these questions. She knows nothing about trans issues, nothing. She knows nothing about the LGBT community. You know, she's online. I said, Mom, go online, put in transgender, and then you will get um, tons and tons and tons of information. So my mom's trying to gather all this information, and she's been my greatest supporter ever since then. Uh, she's been absolutely great, loves what I'm doing. The tough one. And probably my the one thing in my head that's the toughest is my dad. Um, uh, he never heard this story. And <clears throat> I wonder uh, how he would be with it. You know, he was a fifth ranger battalion, pretty macho guy, uh, loved, loved, loved old Bruce, you know, and loved what I, the first time he went back to Germany after the war was to watch me run in the games in Munich, you know, and it was very tough on him just listening to the Germans talk. Um, he goes, just, you know, he was the first group into Buchenwald, saw what the Germans had done. I mean, you know, all his friends around him died. He should have died. He even said it on his deathbed. You know, I should have died a long time ago. I'm very happy. I had a great life. Um, and I all I always wonder how he would have been with this. My instinct would be this. Um, uh, I think at first, because <laughs> he knows nothing about any of the LGBT community, I think his first is to go, what the hell are you talking about? You know? What? A woman? I... Not, Oh, man, you know, straighten up. Um, but that wouldn't have stopped me. Uh, I would have had to do what I had to do. Um, but as time goes on, I think my dad would have been, you know, because he softened up a lot at the latter part of his life. I think he would have seen what we're trying to do for this very marginalized community around the world. And I think... He'd be proud of little Caitlin and what she's doing. And yeah, but still it's tough that I never got to tell him. Your proudest moment in show business. The speech at the ESPYs, um, that would be probably my proudest moment of standing in front of my peers and having an opportunity to bring this issue forward. I worked for two months, it was eight minutes long. I worked for two months I used, and I never use a writer, with a guy who I thought, uh, uh, and, and the ESPYs thought, you know, I really want to work with a writer and myself. It's my story, but just how to word it and make sure we get all the points. Because 
this eight minutes is by far the most important eight minutes of my life. My first public appearance. I've got my peers in front of me. It's a worldwide audience. Um, <clears throat> I got to get it straight for my community and for my family. Uh, and so once it was over, I was scared to death. There was not one visible sign. It was seamless. You were flawless. If you were nervous, it never showed yeah. on television. Well, I've been in the speaking business forever <laughs> and in front of crowds. Um, <laughs> I've done thousands and thousands of, Bruce has done thousands and thousands and thousands of speeches over the last 40 years. The champion within the speech. Right? Yeah, and I, I talk about it in the book. I go, you know, and sometimes I was frustrated, so I'd wear like pantyhose underneath, or <laughs> underwear, or in a, and a bra underneath my suit. <clears throat> and uh, just because I had all that stuff with me up in the up in the hotel room, they can't see anything, screw them, you know? And then I'd be standing up there since I'd given it so many thousands of times um, and thinking as I look around the audience, I'm thinking, these people don't know me at all. You know, they, I'm, I'm talking about 24, you know, 48 hours in my life, which was, you know, the 29th and 30th of 1976. And um, there's so much more to me than that, you know, and, and um, will I ever get to tell that story? And I'd walk off the stage and I'd feel like a fraud, like I just didn't give them the whole story. Well, that was the first time I stood up on stage. I hate to tell you, I did have brawn panties on underneath all of that. Yes, I did for the first time. And I, it felt good. It felt good. I don't have to lie. So, um, yeah, that would I'd have to say that's probably my, my proudest moment because I, I yeah, I, it was the beginning of not living a life with no secrets. Biggest disappointment in the entertainment business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Ooh, biggest, some of the shows, some of the shows that I've done, they, they didn't turn out as, uh, I thought they were so good and they just didn't turn out as good as they possibly would. You know, we take Can't Stop the Music or any of those types. It was disappointing. Anytime you're involved in something in the entertainment world, you're hoping, you know, it's going to be a hit. There's not many hits out there. Okay. They're tough to find. Uh, it's going to be hit. Everybody's going to love it and on and on and on. And then what doesn't work out that way. You know, they don't see the world the way you may see the world. That kind of, yeah, that gets disappointing. So you're talking about more like a television series where you did an acting performance or a talk show. Are you talking about the Kardashian show? Yeah, that's exactly Got it. it, in general. Got yeah, it. and you know, we've all had we've all had those, haven't yes, we? we have. Thank you. That's, okay. That's another podcast. Uh, yeah, that's, an, that's another thing. I want to talk to you about this amazing documentary that I worked on called I Killed JFK. It's centered on the only person in history to have admitted to killing John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere except on this documentary. Go to ikilledjfk.com, look at the trailer, by this documentary, I guarantee you it will blow you away. Last question before Alan kills me. What advice do you have for the young person who's growing up in New England and sort of not knowing what's going on and knowing that there's something happening, but not knowing where to turn? 
and how to take the steps to take their life and their career to the next level. You have done that in your career in multifaceted ways. You've been number one in sports. You're the number one spokesman and person for these issues. And you've done it the keeping silent way. You've succeeded hiding it for so long. I have a feeling the advice that you'd give for people to have the kind of career that you've had and the kind of impact you've had if somebody were feeling that somewhere in the world at a very young age, they know something's going on. What advice would you give to them, the steps that you would recommend they take from the moment they feel that way that will give them the least path of resistance, the least stress, and the most chance at success in their lives? Yeah, when you're, first of all, everybody's got their stuff, okay? I know I do. Okay, thank you. Everybody's got their stuff. This happened to be my stuff. So the question is really, how do you deal with your stuff? Okay. Um, I have to say, after all these years and the the stuff that I had, my identity, um, now that I'm in the position that I am today, a a clean soul, a, uh, a soul that is not hiding anything, uh, a soul that's free to just live their life of who they are um, and uh, to deal with your stuff in, um, in a truthful way. Um, but you also have to realize to do that, it's more than just you. It's other people around you. And in my case, my stuff, my identity, for me to transition, it affects a lot of people. You know, if you're a young person, let's say you're suffering, you know, you're dealing with your identity. There's family members, um, there's loved ones, there's all these people around you, okay, that it's also going to affect. Um, Number one, you have to be true to yourself. Number two, you have to be true to your loved ones. Um, If there's a little bit of compensation if to make maybe the other people uh, come around um, I would say you know do your best to do that Um, do your best to help other people understand what you're going through Uh, but the bottom line is living your life with no secrets is the only way to go Um, and it may be tough it may be difficult it may take a while for other people to come around but the bottom line is, um, yeah, you 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 have to live your life with a happy soul, you know, and that's really hard to do sometimes. And whatever your stuff may be, it could be drinking, alcohol, whatever, you know, all the time you do something like that, it affects a lot of people. And uh, do your best to live your life authentically. I mean, it's it's the only way to go. Caitlin Jenner, you are a life changer. No, it was fun, Bear. <clears throat> Thank you so much. What an honor. This has been a very unique and enlightening show. It was a pleasure, Barry. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, a review on the iTunes comment review section, and one of these people will be a lucky winner, and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them. 
or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Kenny Schmenny, April 2nd, 2017. The heading reads, Advice and Insight from the Best. Five stars. And it reads, Barry is so open and honest and guides the discussion thoughtfully. How does he get these guests? They are the best in the world at what they do, and their lessons are all right here for the taking. No other podcast like this out there. Wow. Thank you so much, Kenny Schmenny. You are a winner. Lastly, I'd like to thank our sponsors, AquaTrue. Again, go to industrystandardwater.com, type in the promo code BARRY, and get $100 off and get the best tasting water you can ever imagine. And I Killed JFK, the documentary in the interviews about the only man in history to admit to killing JFK. The documentary is incredible. You love it. The interviews are insane with the last remaining living experts. Check it out, ikilledjfk.com. And lastly, my thanks to Wondery. Check out all the best podcasts in the world there at wondery.com. Thanks a lot, everybody. I've really enjoyed today. See you next time. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drop that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers, they have all to gain. It's never quite over, till it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave, down in the valley. A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.